Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Ransom. This morning we're finishing our series, The Kings of Summer. Um, as I was reading and studying last week for last week's message, I came across this passage in Jeremiah 29, and I felt like, uh, man, this, this has something we need to hear. And so what I've done is I've added an extra message onto the end. This is the epilogue to the series, calling it After Exile. And the passage this morning for our last sermon in the series on Kings is from Jeremiah 29. I'll be reading verses 1 through 7 from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Again, Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 7. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah, now Jeconiah is another name for Jehoiachin, uh, and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said... Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Lord, as we jump into this text from Jeremiah, I pray that you would uh, open us up to what you'd have us hear this morning. I pray that you would convict our hearts in all the ways they need to be convicted. Show us our sin. Show us where we can be encouraged. Show us your love and your gospel. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, let's get some context. Um, here we have a letter, uh, the account of a letter written from Jeremiah, the, the, the faithful prophet of God, to the exiles who are in Babylon. Specifically, these ones are settled in Chaldea somewhere, which is southern Babylon. Um, here's what's happening. So this is a part of the first exile of the people of Judah. Jehoiachin, the king, had rebelled. He was a vassal of Nebuchadnezzar. He had served as king, uh, he served Nebuchadnezzar, served Babylon. Well, he decided to rebel. And so, uh, as part of the first exile of the Judeans, Nebuchadnezzar comes, he takes Jehoiachin, he takes his family away. He also takes a large contingency of Judeans, uh, Judeans with him, Judeites. Um, and so, they are in exile. They've been removed from their home and settled someplace else. And as you can imagine, they're longing to return. They want to go home. They have, they have homesickness. Uh, in this time, uh, these, these very interesting stories take place, and they're recounted in the book of Jeremiah. But all of these false prophets, <clears throat> excuse me, all of these false prophets start popping up. And what, are, what is the message of these false prophets? Just before this passage, Jeremiah faces off with a false prophet named Hananiah. And Hananiah's message is this. Listen, don't worry, exiles. Your time in Babylon, it will be short-lived. Everything's going to be okay. Everything 
will be fine. You'll come back very soon. God will reward you. God will save you. It's going to be over soon. And so Jeremiah, in response to this, comes. He's a very visual, visceral prophet. He shows up in a, with a wooden um, yoke on his neck, and he says, no, Babylon is like a yoke to us. And so Hananiah, in response, breaks the wooden yoke into pieces and says, no, we will break the yoke of, of the of Babylon. And then so Jeremiah, he's awesome. He's a great prophet. He, he goes and he, he uh, creates and, and makes this uh, yoke made out of iron. And he comes back and says, Babylon is a yoke that you cannot break. And so Hananiah and Jeremiah have these great face-offs. They're very exciting. Uh, but the, in the end, what was happening? The exiles were choosing to believe in a false hope. Things will be better soon. You'll be home soon. This will all end. Your discomfort will be gone. And Jeremiah, the realistic prophet of God, he believes that and he desires by the, by the command of God to, to take these uh, messages of ease, these false hopes, away from the exiles. He, he wants them to understand, listen, you cannot live as if this will end soon. In fact, just after this passage, he says, you have 70 years to go. There is at least two generations to come before any of this is taken away from you. So stop wishing. Stop waiting for some other circumstances. Stop wishing and waiting. <clears throat> now as we read this passage, I think there are many applications that could be made. I think there's almost a... Uh, you, you can't count them. There's so many that we could pull from this passage. But today, we're going to walk through this passage. Uh, we're going to break it down. What does this letter to the exiles mean for them, and then at the end, I want to draw out just a few conclusions, a few applications for us uh, as a church. So, the Judeans in exile were wishing and waiting for a better circumstance rather than working for God's glory. And so, Jeremiah wants to pull them back to the reality of their situation, and he gives them a command from God. See verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The first thing he wants them to understand is this. I'm not just saying this. This is the Word of God through me to you, who, and He is the one who puts you where you are when you are. <clears throat> and so here's what the letter has to say. Let's break it down. Let's start with verse 5. The first part of verse 5 says, Build houses and live in them. Build houses and live in them. What, what Jeremiah is saying, God is the message that God has for the exiles is this. Put a system of day-to-day -day life in place. You need to put a system of day-to-day -day life. You're not going to live in tents. You are not nomads. Build a house. You're not in transition. You're not waiting for, for the next thing to move on. No, you need to establish yourself in this place, Chaldea, in Babylon. This word live, it says, uh, <clears throat> live in them. This is where the, the original languages can really awaken the, the meaning here. This word live is not just live, like when you go on vacation and you have to live somewhere for two weeks. It's not the same kind. Here, it, this word means to inhabit for an extended period of time. So, build houses. Get ready to live in it. Build yourself a home, not just a house. There's a, a, something I... I've heard said about uh, some places I've lived in the past where it's hard to resell a house, and so when you buy a house in an area like that, you're not buying a house, you're buying a home. You're buying something that's a long-term investment, something that, that will not easily be flipped uh, for a profit. No, you're buying something for a long 
term. So what is he saying in the beginning of verse 5? This is your home. Don't rent. Buy. It's time to buy. You're going to be here for a long period of time. In addition to that, verse 5, plant gardens and eat their produce. So not only should they put a system of day-to-day living in place, but uh, they need to begin a life that's aimed at long-term productivity. Uh, Don't sit idle and, and feed off other people's work. No, get to work where you are. Establish yourself. Grow roots, literally. Now, uh, I have a terrible, terrible track record with gardening, okay? I've tried it in the past. Uh, I, I tried a couple times in Florida when we lived there to grow tomatoes, and then by the end of the season, uh, there's bugs, and it's, it's gross, and it's just not working, okay? I, I'm not talented at growing things. Maybe that goes back to one of the punishments I had as a teenager growing up, thank you, Mom and Dad, was to weed the garden. I hated it, okay? I hated it. And I was never good at it. So maybe there's some kind of psychological thing there. Who knows? But listen, I love the idea of a garden. I am terrible at executing the things necessary to have a successful one. I'm not good at it. It takes hard work. It takes care. It takes knowledge to to plan and plant and grow and harvest a healthy crop. And here what God is saying to the the exiles is, do that work. Figure out what it means to... To, to plant something here in a different place than you've lived before. Do the work of nurturing it and, and bringing it to fruition and then live off its produce. Do the hard work of producing a crop. So, establish a day-to-day life and begin a life that's aimed at long-term productivity. Get, get used to being here. Do what's necessary to, to live. And then he turns to kind of a more relational thinking in verse 6. So look at the beginning and the very end of verse 6. It says, take wives and have sons and daughters. Skip down and it says, multiply there and do not decrease. Do not decrease. Multiply yourselves. Grow numerically. Don't wait for this time to pass. Think about it. If you were in a place and you thought you would move on soon, would you start a family? No. Julie and I, once we moved while she was pregnant. It's stressful. It's hard. The change doctors midstream. Now, I know it's not the case for these Judeans, but again, you, you don't tend to start something like that when you are thinking about the next phase coming rather quickly. So what, what God is telling them is, listen, you can't wait for this to pass. This situation's bigger than you. It'll last longer than you last. The next generation will, be, will go through it as well. So let's get started. Let's get started with that. And he says, do not decrease. You see, I want you to understand, God still has a people. Now, the people do not inhabit, at this moment, these people do not inhabit the promised land. The northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes, they're not in the promised land. Now, a good chunk of of the tribe of Judah does not inhabit the promised land, but God still has a people. And so, how does God's people grow in this day and age, in ancient Israel? They have babies. They have babies. That's actually how we here at Grace are planning to grow. Just more and more babies. Just keep them coming. Um, And so, multiply. God, His people are not in the promised land, but He still wants His family to grow. And so He's saying, keep growing. Multiply. In addition to that, He wants us in the middle of verse 6, He wants the Israelites, not us, but the Judeans, to uh, take wives for their sons and give your daughters a marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Here's the idea. God's saying, yes, it's one thing for you to start a family, but even when your kids grow up, which they will, they'll grow up in Chaldea. They won't know what it's like to grow up 
in Jerusalem or Judah. They won't know. This is their new home. This is where they will exist. And in fact, you shouldn't expect this whole thing to end by the time they grow up. No, give them away in marriage. Let them start families. This is going to last a long time. In other words, invest all of your resources in creating a future here where you find yourself. Use all of your resources. This is your new home for now. And, and really, this idea of multiple generations being, being commanded, it's emphasizing the intentionality of stretching toward... Multi, this, this, this exile is going to stretch further than these people would expect. It's going to go into multiple generations into the future. So, establish this day-to-day lifestyle. Establish a life that's producing and, and thriving. Go ahead, begin to multiply. Have families. Establish yourself in this place. And then we come to verse 7, which might be the most surprising of all the commands. Verse 7. Look at the first and last phrase of verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Fast forward. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Here's what God is asking the Judeans to do. Contribute. Contribute to the society of your enemy. Don't just portion yourself off and try to make your little hovel of of Judah exiles thrive. No, invest in the community in which you find yourself. Invest in Babylon. You are not leaving here for quite some time, and if you want your life to get better, is what he's saying, you need to make life better in Babylon, for Babylon. You need to invest in your community. I think it's important to understand that this is what God's people have been called to do all along. This is not something new. Think about this. We're going to go back to Genesis 12 when God made a covenant with Abraham. Listen to what he says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Listen to this. And in you all, in in you, sorry, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, God's people from Abraham forward, their job, the, the reason that God made a covenant with them, one of the main functions of this covenant was so that as he blessed them, they would bless those around them. Here it says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that comes to fruition through Jesus. But as the Israelites traversed through the desert from Egypt to Canaan, guess what part of their function was? To bless those around them. As they settled into Canaan and, 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 and established the kingdom of Israel, guess what part of their function was? To live in such a way that it blessed the nations around them and called them to God. And now, as exiles, they are called to do the same thing. And so here in exile, he's saying, as you bless them, you will be blessed. It's reciprocal. But not only that. So it's not just... that they should physically work for the blessing and the advancement of Babylonian culture so that they receive that and so that those around them are blessed. But the middle of verse 7 is probably the most difficult thing of all. It says this, 
and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray to the Lord on behalf of Babylon. Babylon. (laughs) Think about this. Who snatched them out of their homes? Who dragged them from Jerusalem to Chaldea? Who removed them from their friends and the things they knew and the things they loved and the promised land? Babylon. Babylon. I want us to think for a moment of Jonah. Jonah's going to help us understand the difficulty of this thing, to pray for the behalf of Babylon. Jonah, why was Jonah so miffed? So for those of you who aren't familiar, Jonah was a prophet, and and he was a prophet from the northern kingdom of Israel, and God came to him one day and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And we just a few sermons ago heard about this. What is the connection between Assyria and the northern kingdom of Israel? Assyria came in and brutally, brutally conquered Israel. They killed women and children. They enslaved the people of Israel. They ripped them from their homes. It was, it was not a pretty thing. And so when God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to the capital of Assyria and preach the name of Yahweh and see that they are saved, Jonah is incensed by that. Now, he, he refuses. And in fact, he runs away. And that's where we get the whole story of a fish swallowing him up and puking him out on the, on the beach and things like that. Um, <clears throat> but listen, we tend as 21st century Christians to look at the story of Jonah and say, well, it looks as though to us, Jonah is, is, a, is being racist. And now there is a little bit of that there, but that could be anachronistic in, in a sense. It, it's a modern lens that we're looking at the story of Jonah through. And certainly there was no love loss between an Israelite and, and, and the people themselves of Nineveh who were Assyrians. But imagine for yourself the bitterness in the heart of Jonah towards a people that had brutally conquered his people. Imagine that. Imagine how difficult it was for Jonah to think that God wanted to save them after what they had done Maybe his own family. That same bitterness, that same temptation that Jonah succumbed to is the same difficulty, the same temptation that, that these Judeans, Judahites, would be facing from this request to pray for the blessing of Babylon. These people have been ripped from their homes by the Babylonians, and what is God doing? He's saying, pray for them for their blessing, for their increase, for their thriving. What is great about our God is He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we fast forward to Matthew 5, we hear Jesus telling us to do something very similar. Listen to this, Matthew 5.43. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be preaching this. uh, We'll be hearing this sermon series coming September 13th, here's Jesus teaching his disciples what it means to be a real Christian. He says this, you have heard it said. He's quoting uh, 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 the um, oral tradition of the Pharisees. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the same concept. Babylon has literally persecuted. They are literally the enemies of these Judeans. And God is saying, pray for them. Don't just work for their benefit, which benefits you. Pray for their blessing. 
And so in this letter that he sends through Jeremiah, through these other messengers, what is the command of God to these exiles? What's the command? The command is this. First and foremost, the command is to recognize, recognize that God himself has put them in this place in this time. It's not a mistake. It's not something that, that, that they should wish for it to change. They can't change it. God has put them there. They should, the, the command of this letter is also resist the temptation to wait until it's over. Don't wait. The, 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 the people in exile are saying, I wish it were different. Let's wait it out. And the command here is stop wishing, stop waiting. Rather, go about ordinary life and let God work through those ordinary means. Stop wishing and waiting. Get to work through ordinary means. God will use you to bless the people around you. I'll fulfill the covenant of Abraham in this time, in this place, through you, through, through you just living life, committing and putting down roots. Now, it would be easy to just take these three things and say that's what it means for us too. In a sense, we could do that, and that might be accurate in, at one level. Um, that would be a good thing for us to hear, that we should stop wishing and waiting, and, and we should work for the, the blessing of our community. But that would only be a partial accurate, partially accurate application. We have to, first of all, look at some similarities and differences between us and, the, and these exiles before we can really flesh out what this passage means for us. So let's start with some similarities. What are some things we have in common with these people where this message could apply directly to us really without much filtration? So first, the first similarity, we, church, are also exiles. We are exiles. We are not in our actual home. The place where we go about our business and live our lives is not our final destination. It is not the place of our citizenship. We exist outside the place where we belong. I spoke, I think, last end of last summer, a sermon called Scattered Together. What is the church but little pockets of, of God's family exiled amongst the world waiting to return home with their King and their Father and the Holy Spirit? So, that's something we have in common. We are exiles, a lot like these folks are exiles. Something else we have in common. Yet we too can be tempted by wishing and waiting. I think we know that. We can wish for different circumstances. We can be tempted to wait until things get better. Uh, before I make this next point, I wish I had hired or asked JP to get a trombone and stand over off the cameras because what I'm about to say would be great for a wah-wah. Okay, so you ready? Listen, we can wish for things. Let me be very specific. We can wish for things to be back the way they were six months ago. We could wish for that. But that's a fruitless wish. Wah-wah. So disappointing. What a downer. But it's true. They, they, they aren't the way they were six months ago. And, and they won't be for quite some time. We don't know if we'll ever gain normalcy back. And so to wish for different circumstances right now in our lives, it's a fruitless thing. And so the message to these exiles, hey, stop wishing for different circumstances. God has put you where you are, when you are, on purpose, is a good message for us. 
Let's talk about waiting. We often are tempted to wait for what's next. Listen, let me, be, let me be specific again. Church, no matter who wins the election in November, no matter, no matter what happens at that moment, God is calling us to build His kingdom. God is calling us to build His kingdom. Now, I'm not saying we don't engage the process. I'm saying, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? There's nothing to wait for. We are called here and now to do that thing. It says in Matthew 9 that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That's our scenario currently. We have nothing to wait for. And so just like the exiles, we too are called to work for the benefit of our city. We're called to do that. Church is called the, the, the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate from the very beginning of time. Uh, uh, subdue and multiply. Get out there and work is what God told Adam and Eve. Subdue this world to my kingdom. Multiply my family, my people. And so we are called through word and deed to spread God's kingdom as far as we can while we are alive. We have all those things in common with these people that this letter was written to. And so those applications are direct. We don't need to filter them through anything. Stop wishing. Stop waiting. Work in what Christ has called us to do. Those things are direct. But there are some differences. There are some differences that we need to, to, to take notice of. First of all, the first difference here is Jeremiah is speaking to these exiles in very physical, material terms. So like, like blessings in the Old, all blessings in the Old Testament were physical manifestations. So if you obey God, I will make your kingdom great. If you do these things, I will multiply your people or I will bring, bring about riches or I will do this. So, so here he's saying literally, physically, materially, as you bless Babylon, you will physically, material, materially, literally be blessed in return. So as Babylon is physically in peace, you will physically have peace. As Babylon materially prospers, you will materially prosper. And as your family grows, it will grow, literally, numerically. But it's different for us. It's different for us. Our blessings that we are called to and that we are given are not physical blessings. They are spiritual blessings. And the work that we are called to, the spread of God's kingdom, is not a physical spread. It's a spiritual spread. Our role in the, in the, in the cultural mandate is to seek the welfare of our city and word and deed so that people will hear what? The Gospel. What good is it to feed someone food and never tell them about Jesus? People often wonder, at least I'm asked frequently, where I stand politically. I think maybe more often people assume where I stand politically. Well, I'd like to share with you right now where I stand politically. I can feel the collective squirm. But relax, I don't believe we'll lose our tax-free status after I say what I have to say, okay? Where do I stand politically? Here's where I stand, church. We have a job to do. The church has a job to do. We have a job that, that God Himself has given us. We have a job to do. God Himself has said, church, here it is. Share the good news. We're the, we're the only organization 
that has the, the actual healing power to solve the problems in the world. We're the only one. And, and no one else but God's church can do the job that He's called God's church to do. And so, because of that, we better be about that business for the sake of Jesus. For the sake of Jesus. Let's think about this. What have we learned from the book of Kings? We've learned that human kings won't and don't and can't cut it. They won't do it. It won't happen. They won't get the job done. Feeding on the, and living out God's Word, we've learned this, is essential to our lives. Essential. In, in, in an earthly kingdom, we've learned this, an earthly kingdom was never the intention. Rather, a heavenly kingdom is, made, is the intention. A heavenly kingdom made up of every type of person, every color, every language, every country, every type, Shoulder to shoulder, remember this from last week? Shoulder to shoulder, serving and worshiping God together. That's where I stand politically. That is the ultimate goal of Christians, to see the, the kingdom expand. And because of that, we must be spiritually heavenly minded, not physically materially focused. Do you see the difference? That's the first difference, this difference between physical, material, and spiritual, heavenly. But there's another difference. It's a big difference. The other difference that we have from these exiles is that these people in exile were serving, enduring a punishment. They were being punished. <laughs> they were being punished for their actions, their disobedience, their abandonment of their faithfulness to God. And so this call in Jeremiah 29 it is a call to don't escape your punishment. Listen, don't, don't try to escape the consequences of your actions. Take it. Learn from it. And the, the main difference here is that we serve a king who took that punishment for us. So while we are similarly in exile, we are not in exile enduring punishment. We're not here learning our lesson. No. We are here when we are, where we are, on God's mission. On God's mission. And this mission is guaranteed to succeed. How and why? It's guaranteed to succeed because of the perfect life, the sufficient sacrifice, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're not enduring punishment. We have times of suffering. We will definitely face trials, but we are here on a mission. A job that God has given us that only we can accomplish, and we are here to do that thing right where we are, right when we are. And so, the call from this passage, and I'm going to say this is for those of you who consider yourself Christians and those of you who don't. The call is the same. Here's the call of this passage. Listen, the first thing is our physical, material, political, moral world is crumbling. It's crumbling. That's the bad news. That's the reality. The good news is this, though. The spiritual, eternal, holy kingdom of God is growing. It's growing. And it cannot be stopped. And it will not be stopped. 
And so guess what? We don't need to wish for different circumstances. We don't need to wait until things get better. We don't need to fret over who will be president. We don't need to know when coronavirus will disappear. We don't need to consider moving to Canada or whatever. We don't need those things. Why? Because we have a hope. We have a hope. And that only hope in this world is to know Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, creator and king of everything, returning Savior. That's it. And so as the world crumbles, we can partake in something that will last simply by believing in Jesus Christ and being about His work. So rather than wishing for different worldly circumstances, rather than waiting for things to get back to the way we think they ought to be or the way we think think things will be, wishing and waiting, what can we do? We can cling to what is true, God's Word, and we can join Jesus Christ and His kingdom expansion work. Praise the Lord. So here's how I want to end this sermon. Listen, we, we need to stop wishing and waiting for the world to change. Stop it. We need to stop that. And rather, and instead, we need to join Jesus in the kingdom work that He is already doing and that is destined to succeed. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, you have put us here, like these exiles, put us here on purpose. You've put us where we are, when we are, completely on purpose. And your call to us as Christians is is you saying to us, join me in my work. Press in where I'm pressing in. Go where I am going. Speak where I am speaking. And to those who don't know You yet, You're saying, join Me. The world is crumbling. It's on a downward spiral, but the Kingdom of God that will last forever and will succeed is calling You, inviting You. Praise Your name for being the friend of sinners. Praise Your name for creating and leading this universe. Praise Your name that You are going to return. I pray, Lord, that we would have a fire in our souls ignited to be about the work that you have given us, the church. I pray these things in the name of King Jesus. Amen.